Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. All right, well, I know that's a disturbing topic. It can overwhelm you. It really can do that. But folks, this is the reality of what we're seeing. And, you know, we can, as a church, walk around in, with blinders on. Or we can look at what really is there. And when you really see what's there, then it can start to be healed. That's what th- this is what Jesus died for, to set people free. And we're called to be a part of that, not only to enjoy the power of that in our own lives, but also to uh, reach back and help others. And that's what this whole series has been about as well, that we believe there is a hope. There's a hope for the future. And we're talking about family, which is, of course is where this all starts, doesn't it? It's where it all begins. So we agree that, that all families are definitely different. There's no doubt. Andrew and I agree with that. And, and certainly that, that it, it brings up uh, emotions of, of different kinds when you go through this kind of truth. Certainly you've experienced the stirring up of that. And, and there's different, different complexities in, in families. But as Christians, we're bound to the words of Jesus. We are. We can't go anywhere else. And if we do, we'll find that, that it's not truth. It's half-truth. But in John 14, 23 through 25, Jesus said these things. He said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And then, of course, what I'm, I'm pushing this as a teacher to say, okay, well, what teaching and where did he talk about this? He said, these words that you are hearing are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So all that Jesus was speaking and teaching, he says it comes straight from the Father's heart. So we have authority. We have impact. When, I ask, all this I have spoken while still with you. When did Jesus speak these things that he wants us to obey? He said, the whole time I'm with you, as I've been speaking, I've been laying out this truth. So, Andrew, do you want to say something? We are talking about raising and impacting a generation. And that is for all of us, everyone in this room, whether you still have children at home or, or not. This is a call and a mandate for all of us, amen, to make disciples of all nations. And fathering and mothering is a part of that calling. And so this, this word impact is, is such a great word because you can impact by the way you live, by the way you obey his teachings, by the way you live a life of worship, by the way you lead a generation. And so we're talking about raising or building emotionally intelligent young people, Amen. I mean, that's, that's the goal. And we, David and I read this a couple of years ago, and we're so impacted by the, the thought of that we're raising adults. We're not raising children. Because when you think about character and you think about honesty and loyalty and integrity, that is we want, that's what we want to be putting into our children from the get-go because they're a canvas, right? They're a blank canvas when our children come to us at the beginning, and we want to be able to sow into them the seed of truth. And the truth we know only comes through Jesus Christ and the truth we find in his word. And so um, this is our heart, to be able to raise a generation um, of emotionally healthy and intelligent, self-aware, loving God, loving his ways, young people. Scripture tells us that wisdom comes from many different places and and all throughout our life, when, when we're children and as we become aged, that we will always have 
the input of wisdom. And the scripture says this in Proverbs 9, 9, instruct a wise man and he becomes wiser still. He becomes wiser still. We never arrive. We never get to a place and we should never be at, in a place in our lives where we say, you know, this is the way we've done it. This is the way I've always done it. And this is the way I'll always be. When we close our hearts off in that way, then we don't grow. We're not challenged with truth. And because we all only have a, you know, a portion of it. We only have a portion of it. And it's amazing. My children will say things that I'm going, oh, wow, that was straight from the heart of God. And then there'll be people, you'll even find people that who are not even walking with Christ. But the goal is that we as believers become students of wisdom. Students of wisdom. In other words, we, our hearts are always so open to it that we're looking to other various places to where it's going to, we're going to recognize. We're going to be so uh, intimately acquainted with the language of wisdom that we're going to recognize it. So by resisting wisdom, it's because of pride. If we resist wisdom, it's pride. We choose, and if we choose the way of pride, in other words, to just say, well, I'm going to learn this on my own, in my own way, we choose the reproofs of life. And if the only way we learn wisdom is through hardship and hurt, then we're not really wise at all, are we? God needs to help us. The teachings of Christ are foundational for our families. The breakdown in many homes comes from the failure to pass on the teachings of Christ to children who will embrace them much more quickly because we build our truth systems at a surprisingly young age. You'll learn that in psychology and in early childhood development, that it's amazing that much of who we become has already been established by the age of about eight or nine years old. That is kind of scary, to be honest with you. Our truth systems. And some of the impacting topics some we're going to list here, but only seven, what we're finding right now, and this is confirmed, that only 17% of Christian families, now Christian families, those who identify with being Christians, have a biblical worldview. In other words, that they look at the world the way that Jesus has taught us to look at the world. Only 17%. So what does that tell you? It tells you that we've got an influx of a lot of information that is not coming from Scripture. We've got a lot of influx of, of teachings and beliefs, things we're reading in magazines, things that are being taught in our universities that are contrary to the Word of God, and we're biting into it hook, line, and sinker. And especially as it comes to how we are raising our children in the fear of the Lord. Here's some impo impacting topics. And I think uh, why this is so challenging is because we live in a post-Christian Christian mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. That's why this percentage is so low because back in the, you know, 50s and 60s and before that, there were, you know, you could see, you know, the Ten Commandments was up and there was prayer in school and there were, there were you know, institutions and bastions of, of learning where Judeo-Christian values were put forth. And so the young generation was hearing that from every, you know, from politics to the media to everywhere. But now we are in a post-Christian culture. And I'm not sure if we're all aware of what that means. But as Pastor David has, um, you know, put out for us over the last, really, s since you've been here, is just sort of unveiling what is going on in our schools, what is going on in the media, what is going on with, um, you know, in government and how things are, are, are our religious freedoms are being removed. So, I just wanted to bring that up to you, and it, it, it is troubling, and it is hard, but the Bible says when, when the foundations are being destroyed, what will the righteous do? But we will run to him. He is, he is truth. 
and his word has truth. And so the, the, some of the topics we are going to be looking at are, um, and that we have to, to have as a foundation, yes. is um, telling the truth. That that is, you know, truth needs to be coming from our lives. Truth needs to be coming from our mouths, what we tell our kids and what we tell the people in our lives we know is truth and also the truth that we find in the word of God. Learning from our mistakes, right? That there is, we've got to embrace our mistakes. We've got to own them. Um, and we, in, in some cases, embracing the consequences, but ultimately experiencing the grace of God. That needs to be like breathing in and out for us, especially when we're talking about raising a generation, because the last thing we want to do is act like, well, we've got it all. We're perfect. You're the, you know, you're the one that needs to shape up. You need to do this. Here's your list of rules. But no, this is, this is learning from our mistakes as parents, amen, as leaders, as well as helping our young ones walk through that. And then not, we're not allowed to develop bitter roots we have to teach our children how to forgive. We have to teach the people in our lives how to forgive because you're going to be wronged. You are going to be betrayed. You are going to be disappointed. And I tell you what, that is so challenging as a parent because I walk through things in my life, we all do, where we feel challenged. We're like, well, we know the teaching of forgiveness. We know if we don't forgive men our sins, then, you know, the Father can't forgive us our sins. But it's hard, and I'm challenged. But I realize as a, as a parent, I have got to be walking in forgiveness. I can't be telling my children one thing and living another and living with bitterness in my heart because of this person or that organization or that group, you know, and it's, it's challenging for us folks. And then learning justice, be able, being able to understand true justice. I think people who don't know Christ, they think they understand what justice is, but if you don't know God and if you don't know who he is, then you don't know true justice and true judgment and what that and mercy where do, where do sex traffickers come from? They started off as children. They grew up in homes. And so learning morality is absolutely key. And they need to learn what is right and wrong before the age of eight. If what we know about development is true. And who's going to do that? Whose responsibility? Well, we know in the Old Testament... The Jews learned as they were in the desert and as they traveled, he said, look, it's your responsibility as the parents. And up to a certain age, you will be held accountable for that. While they're in the country, teach them. While in the city, teach them. Learn morality. Learning respect. Learning respect for other human beings and life in general. In the post-Christian era, what we're finding is that life is losing its value. <laughs> the only value that we have is for a young life a young life that is able to contribute and, and, and all that. But as, as apparently as an infant or an older person, those are not valued as much. We're just kind of in the way. And that's not God. That's not biblical. Proper understanding of authority in all walks of life. Not only, how do we, how do we learn to respect for government? How do we learn Romans chapter 13, except that it begins in the home at first? And if we as parents allow our children to, to badmouth and to discredit and to tear down the God-given authorities that God has placed in their life, then what, we're, what we are ultimately teaching them by default is that ultimately that we disrespect God. And that unloads, of course, a, a host of many, many things, many, many some Personal confidence, to learn that. These are important issues, personal confidence in coming to Christ. And so much of what happens in our young people is as a result of just reaction. It's reaction. It's not out of comfort. It's not out of confidence. It's out of trying to make other people 
and, and trying to fit in instead of be say, this is who God made me to be, and I'm going to be that comfortably. So much happens out of a brokenness in that area. And then selfless serving. Children can understand the teachings of Jesus very well. Because remember when the children came to Jesus in the New Testament and the disciples were kind of trying to get them to, to go away. Don't, don't bother Jesus. He's busy ministering. And Jesus said, no, bring the children to me. For it is such as these that will inherit the kingdom of God. And so we look at our children and we see, what do you see? A trust. They're trusting. They're believing. They are, this is, this is who this is who we're supposed to be pouring into. We're imprinting them. And so th this process of training, um, teaching them that it is worthwhile to walk in these truths, this, they have to get that from, from us, parents. And our children are given to us for just a little while. How many know that's true? You blink, and they're, they're 18, and they're leaving. And then they're 28, and they've got their career. And it's, it's amazing how fast it goes. And so every day counts. And that's, that's the... the verse that we have there, Proverbs 22, is train up a child in the way he should go, so that when he is old, he will not depart from it. We can't expect for it just to just happen, because we're good people, or we go to church on Sunday, or because we read the Bible every so often, but it's something that we have got to be walking in, amen, as parents, and then training them in the way they should go, and um, that's how God has set it up for us. Yeah, training is, is a really powerful, powerful word, and one that I believe is, is mostly forgotten. Because I think what we tend to do is just say, well, we'll just go through the motions. And, and again, like we said last week, that everything will just turn out okay. But that's not what, what the Bible teaches us, that we have to be very intentional in helping our young people to build a truth system, a moral system, a justice system based on our example and by the words of God. And now, I will say this. Look, you may be in this room today and you say, I don't have any children. I don't tend to have any children. It may not be in God's plan for me or that your children are long gone. Look, if what, we, what is being told us that it takes a village to raise another generation, then really none of us are off the hook because children are watching everyone. They're not just watching parents. They're looking to adults at every level. And so as a believer, we can help in the training process. Now, we're going to go through a list of things, and hopefully we can get through them all, but I, I doubt it, but we'll give it our best shot. But what Andrea and I have learned over the years when it comes to raising children, these are just kind of like popcorn truths that we're just going to go through. So talking about discipline, uh, discipline is not a happy word, right? <laughs> but we all experience discipline in our lives. It's either something that we decide we're going to do, or it's something that is uh, impressed upon us, right? Discipline. And so discipline is a good thing, and it's something that we need to take a hold of as parents. Disciplining our children, um, and it should, it should start early. Um, for those of you, okay, how many, how many people in here have young children? Okay. Um, and how many of you have children still at home? Okay. And you've had children, but they're gone now. They have flown the nest. How many in here? We got those too. That's true. We're in all three categories. Did you notice that? <laughs> Young ones. That's amazing. Okay, so um, discipline is can be tough because a lot of parents, they want to, you know, they feel like, well, I don't want to be harsh, and I don't want to be, you know, the hard hat. I just want to love, and all we need is love, right? That's what the Beatles say. But dis love is discipline, amen? Discipline is love. And so what we want to do is teach our children to bend their will to us as parents because guess what? They're going to be bending their will to God. That is the whole heart 
behind why we teach our children to obey. And that's really the word. Discipline really points to obedience. And we just read a scripture at the beginning of this teaching that said, if you love me, you'll obey my teachings. Mm -hmm. And so the best thing that I can give my child is a discipline that teaches them to bend their will to their authority. And that means that I have to be consistent. And that means I have to have a boundary. And when that boundary is crossed, there has to be a consequence. And so remember that the discipline needs to come in love. Amen? Because that's how the Father, that's how God the Father disciplines us. He disciplines those he loves, it says in Hebrews. And so I just want to speak to the parents with young children that you want to make sure that the heart of obedience is there. Because the opposite of really um, bending their will and having their heart is uh, behavior modification. And that's what you'll see a lot of psychologists teach that. But you don't want just their robotic obedience, like just to get mom and dad off my back. But you want to see a heart of obedience because that's what it's about. If you just get behavior modification, eventually it will become rebellion. And they're going to hide. They're going to know, okay, well, how much can can I get away with today um, with mom or dad if they're testy? Um, So we also want to teach them that when you disobey, when you sin, there is a consequence. There's pain that comes. And so when I look into the eyes of my children, each one of my children, I want them to know that obedience brings blessing. And disobedience and sin brings pain. And what does the Bible say in Romans? That the wages of sin is death. I don't want that for them. And so my responsibility is to teach them discipline and bending their will. The scripture even talks about rescuing, you know, to discipline as a part of rescuing rescuing them from their own sinful nature. And we're called to do that. Um, Another thing that we've learned is, is to teach our children to obey first, then ask why. It's a very simple little understanding. In other words, to teach them to just say, look, I trust you enough that I will listen to you and obey, but not stop. So if my child runs out in the middle of traffic and I say, stop, and he turns and he, he, he keeps going because he's like, I hear no good reason for you to tell me stop. I, I will, you know, I'm not going to stop because you, you, I, I need to hear why. Well, they get run over by a bus. And... So by teaching our children obedience first, then ask why. We don't want to teach them to just obey. Or, or because now think of this as, as believers, that we just obey the voice of God, and then after the decision, the, 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 the moment of truth passes, then we can go and say, Lord, what, what are you after? What are you doing inside me? Why are you asking me to do this? Why am I saying no to this relationship? Why am I saying no to this job? Why am I, I don't feel peace about this. And I'm not going to push forward because I'm going to obey first. Then I will trust that the reason will come later. We teach that as children. I mean, we teach, as parents, we teach this to our children. So we say, look, obey what daddy tells you now. And then afterward, you can come back and just say, well, daddy, why did you tell me to stop? Because there was a bus coming, son. Actually, that did happen. Um, Taylor was about three, and we were at a friend's house, and he was playing with a ball. They had a driveway that was a, in uh, a decline. Mm-hmm. And there was a bus coming. The ball ran out into the street. You know, he school bounced bus. it and went out into the street. And the school bus was coming. And I, and I saw what was happening. It was like slow motion. You know how that goes. And you, I just said, stop. And he was a fast little runner. And he stopped. And I literally saw that moment as, thank God that he has learned obedience. Because that could have been uh, a, a fatal. Yeah. Yeah, it could have been his I've life. I've heard others, uh, another couple told me one time their son was going into some bushes, and from their angle, they saw that there was a curled-up copperhead in there, and the child was going in there to chase a ball, and they yelled, stop, and the child did stop. 
And he, and he looked down, and he was like, and he was angry. He's like, why are you telling me to stop? I'm tired of you telling me what to do. And he walks, dad walks over calmly and pulls him over to the right angle and says, you see that? That could have been your life. Sometimes parents see things that young people don't. Obey first and ask why. I am number two. Okay. So what we've learned is that delayed obedience is leads to questioning of authority, which leads to rebellion. And when, so you see the progress there. You see the declension. That it may seem like an innocent thing, but what happens is as we begin, as, as young people learn to question before obeying, that opens up the can of worms of questioning every single time. And then to the point where now they're loaded up with information that they feel like is, is grander or more, uh, especially when it comes to, well, look, I, I've just went to four years of college. I've learned all science. I've learned everything about philosophy and psychology. I know all about man. I know all about the, I know more than you. And so, see ya. Whereas the Bible says it trumps the wisdom of man. It trumps all of that. And so, the, the beginning of wisdom is what the Bible tells us is what? Who knows what the beginning of wisdom is? The fear of the Lord. You should know that. The beginning of wisdom is fearing God and obeying the words of Christ. You want to be a wise person? Fear God first. The next point is it is more abusive to not correct your child than it is to let them throw a tantrum. And that may be a little controversial to some of you, but it, it is what we're looking at is allowing a child to give full vent to their anger. It's like that verse that says a, um, a man without self-control is like a city without walls. And so we have to understand that the, to teach our child that throwing a complete tantrum is, is not acceptable. It is not going to be tolerated, and, and that's our job to be able to help bring them into focus, bring some discipline to say, we're not going to let tantrums. I mean, in our household, we did not do tantrums, even in the terrible twos, because it was like you can bring that correction and that discipline that you need to bring. Because ultimately, when a child is allowed to do that, they know no bounds. And really, ultimately, they are unhappy because they're really crying out to say, Mom, Dad, will you please stop this <laughs> madness? They can't stop the madness themselves. They, what they're saying is, would you please help me stop it? You've heard me say that before. Children are asking two questions. Who loves me and who's in charge? You need to let them know that you love them and that you're in charge. And under your leadership comes safety, comes peace, comes all the good things that God wants to flow through you. And seeking mentors in that area is, is a very healthy thing to do because sometimes raising kids is overwhelming. So we need to know that we have safe places. We have mentors in our lives that we can go to, especially the young moms. You've got several toddlers, and it's, it's, a, it's crazy. It's madness. Um, but God's ways work. And it takes consistency. It takes faith, too. It really takes faith. And I think children can sense that whether, okay, mom, she doesn't have control of the situation. <laughs> Dad has no control of the situation. That's where we need to get our act together and be able to come to that child who is frustrated. And, and really, it's not just toddlers, right? We see, you know, middle schoolers, teenagers just absolutely throwing it all out there and it's it's really a rage it's it's an uncontrolled unbridled anger or um you know even threatening mom and dad but there there is a way to lead a child through that and there has to be consequence um i think we're beating all around the bush here but you know we the word of god says to to discipline a child with a rod 
and, and spanking, and we do that. We can talk about that another time if you have a question on it, but that's God's word, and some, sometimes that's what we have to do, but when we discipline them in love, and that's the whole goal is to be able to restore them um, and know that we love them and they receive our love in return. I mean, that's the earliest way of seeing a consequence of disobedience. And uh, I tell parents all the time, I say, look, discipline early and you have to do it less when they grow older. And a lot of times we do it opposite. We say, well, they're just, you know, they're just being little babies. They're just doing this, that, and the other thing. Look, you're creating a monster, all right? And that little monster is born a monster, okay? They look cute. They're little cherubs of beauty and awesomeness. But they have a fallen nature. They are capable of great evil. Yeah, and I, I, it is funny. But on the other hand, it's not so funny. But it's so true. And if we're not a part of the process of showing them quite early. Now, look, this is transferable. So, I mean, if you're checking out young Christians, you first come to Christ. It's important that you begin to learn that the, the, the things that we're needing to grow in, the habits that we're needing to, to kick off, whether we're involved in alcohol or drugs or, or illicit relationships, these kinds of things, we need to understand that our new daddy's coming in with the, with the rod and saying, look, I'm going to give you a spanking. If you keep walking in this behavior, because I love you. This is so true on every level. So you're saying we're all born into sin. Is that right? That's exactly right. right. That's and the only, the, the only antidote for our sin nature is training in righteousness. The work of the cross and then the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. So we're at number four, right? So we need to love our children through positive, uplifting encouragement. And it's a key. This is another whole point in, in, as things that we've learned. Is it not because you may say, well, man, must have been a real bummer growing up in your house. You know, not at all. Because we, in, in, you've heard me say 10 to 1. For every disciplinary thing that we've had to do and confront, there's 10 times of focus on I love you, I, I touch them, I hug them, I, I show affection to my daughters, I show affection to my sons. And positive, uplifting encouragement is absolutely key to emotional security. We need that from God. We want that from God, don't we? And look, if you're not getting that from God, open your Bible to the book of Psalms and let God love on you that way. But see, it begins, if we want to raise a healthy adult, it begins by us speaking loving words of encouragement to, the, to, to our children so that we find it's a very, very powerful thing. It really does speak that you are for them. And as they grow up, they're, they're understanding that mom and dad are for me because the words of life, the words of courage and encouragement are coming. And that is so important to, to developing a, um, a, a self-awareness. This is something that we talk about a lot. I think self-awareness is really underrated. I think it's something that we need to talk about with our children because when they can understand, hey, I I'm not, you know, I'm not everything. I'm not the best at everything because I think sometimes we look at, at positive, uplifting words as just, oh, you know, the things that you do well or you're so beautiful or you're the best at this and that. And those are good, those are good words, but also praising their character. Yes. The decisions that they make that are based out of character and integrity. That is where the praise really goes because then their spirit is, is enlarged and they realize, wow, you know, I'm, I'm glorifying God by my life. And then that allows them to see that, that 
they are, you know, they have limitations. They have weaknesses. They begin to glean from others. They look at others and are able to say, wow, they are good at this or they are good at that. That, that helps build emotional intelligence. And I think there's a real lack of that in a lot of, of teenagers because they don't realize who they are. They're not secure in their, old, in their own identity, and so they have nothing to give, to give out. And one thing that we do within our family is, is praise other people in front of our children because I think that's, that's a healthy thing for them to realize that, um, you know, to acknowledge, you know, the, the talents of others and, and the calling of others. Well, it's a balance because you don't want to just say, hey, look, you're, you, you're awesome, you're great, and, put them, and set them up to make them feel like they're the greatest thing that ever happened. They need to see themselves in the context of, of other people. They need to see, yes, they're loved and they're appreciated, but no more than any other child of God. Now, they're special to us, and they're going to get special treatment because I'm dad and she's mom, but they, de- they do need to see a balance of all of that. Uh, Andrew, let's pick up the pace here. Training is the key. Do not give up on teaching and correcting. Um, it is tough to change bad habits once they are entrenched. And so um, starting young is the key in that and being consistent while they're little. And then as they get older, they just it, it becomes like that truth system and that, and that obedience just becomes like a part of their thinking and a part of their lives. And it, and it's, it becomes so much easier. Um, and then, you know, there are times when I have been discouraged and said, God, I, I don't see how this is, this is working, but a mentor in my life has been like, I've been there. And what you do is you just remind God of his word. And you just, especially if you're dealing with, let's say, um, you know, a, a child that you're trying to see a breakthrough in, and you just, you just pray. I mean, prayer is, is such a powerful thing that we have, just talking to God, reminding him of his word, and uh, stay, stay consistent. I'm going to skip over to uh, number eight here, and that is to teach our children the primacy of family, the importance of it from the very beginning. There, we, our, our goal is that we don't have any secrets outside our family. We want to create in our home, as we should, a, 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 because of the priority system that we shared you know, last Sunday, we need to teach our children that family is important. It's incredibly important. It's a part of who they, that, that, that's their foundational root, and it, in that place they should be most secure, most covered, most loved, and most, uh, that, that's going to be where they're going to be most secure. And so we teach our children about, look, there are things in your life that you, it should always be shared with us first. And I know this cuts against the grain of what I've heard other people say and what other parents actually kind of push sometimes to teach, maybe especially young people, to go, well, you know, your parents, you know, they're your parents. And so really you should be going to other people to share some of your difficulties and your problems. I don't personally agree with that. Now, I'm not saying that they can't share some of those things in addition to their parents. But they should feel the, the encouragement, they should feel the, the freedom to be able to come to Andrew and I at any given time to share their struggles. Why? Because we've been given to them by God to protect them. No one else can protect them like we can. How we pray, how we cover, how we know them. And I'm not saying I would get offended if somebody came up to me and said, Pastor David, can I talk to you about one of your children? You know, I just see some things. Once again, a wise person is going to recognize wisdom. But please don't ask me to stop being dad either, you know, to say, well, look, you don't know everything, and there are certain things that, that I've been praying over since the moment 
that little boy or that little girl came into my hands and how I've been praying over the prophetic things that I have received from God. And when I think of little Ben, God told me that Ben was coming before he came into the world, a year before he came into the world, and gave me his name. Kind of an important guy in the process, don't you think? Kind of need to be, continue to be a part of that. And I think um, it's important that we let our children know that failure is not fatal. Um, there is, we are there for them, and that there is nothing that they cannot bring to us. And I think sometimes, and, and in Christian homes especially, children can be afraid of coming to mom and dad because for fear of what they're going to do, the reaction or the, you know, the, the, the anger or how that the discipline is going to be meted out or whatever. But I really think that that relationship that David talked about last week at the end, he said rules without relationship produce a rebellion. And so if we're not in relationship with our children and become a student of them and, and really learn how to communicate with them and find out what makes them tick and, and just do life with them, be, be friends with them. And in that, when you have that kind of a bridge, then your children know they can come. They can come to you with any question or struggle or maybe something that they've heard, and there won't be a fear. And I think that's really, really important. Andrea, over the years, I've heard more times of people that have grown up in Christian homes that were just Christian in name only. And so as a result, what it developed was a separation between what was expected of them as Christians and what was a reality of, okay, look, I'm a Christian, but I'm still broken. I still, I mean, I'm going to go through different struggles throughout my life, whatever those struggles might be, and we know what a lot of those are because we lived them, and we need to help our children go through those rather than just let them be pushed off into the, into the shame zone or into the, well, we never talk about these things. I mean, that, so many adults that I know that have grew up in Christian homes, they've not had that, 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 that balance that I think is so key to helping young people not run from Christianity because all they see is the real, uh, the rules and not the relationship. So absolutely key. Living a transparent life, I think. And that's, that's part of self-awareness too. Like, okay, I'm going to own up to the fact that I've got this issue in my life. Um, I think that's important. So here's another point. Do not live out your dreams in your children, including what you wish you could have been but never were. I heard a couple of laughs on that. That's really good. Because that can be such a tendency. Now we have little Davids and little Andreas running around. Oh, now <laughs> everything I hoped I could be is now in this child. Um, but helping them find their dreams, right? Helping them find their calling and being a steward. That's what we need to realize. These kids are not ours. Amen. They are God's. He gave them to us. He entrusted them to us. And so we need to help steward their gifts. And this takes time. And it takes, that's why I said be a student of your child and, and, and seek God as well as watch them and see what they're great at doing. And right now our seven-year-old is blowing our minds because he has this thing called his resource. He loves medieval weapons and he is into the trebuchet. I was like, what, trebuchet? I did not know what that was. So he's telling me what a catapult. trebuchet is and a catapult yeah, yeah. and the difference between the two. And so um, he, he's just putting things together in his little mind and I just sit and I watch him and I'm like, he understands how to put stuff together that I could never do, and he's seven. And so I'm watching this, and, and it's just so cool how, as a family, we're just fanning that gift into flame. And we don't know what it will be. We don't know whether he's going to be an engineer or, you know, what he's going to create. But we know God's hand is on his life, and we're just there to, to just fan it into flame and watch him and encourage him. But it's just important that we not push our kids into one particular direction. If, if that's not what God is doing, it's going to bring a leanness to them. And it's going to bring a leanness to us. 
Well, and, you know, hey, I'm just like any red-blooded man. When you have a son and have sons that come along, I want him to follow in my footsteps. So, you know, obviously, just as an example, Tate's sitting back there, and, and I, I grew up in, as a football player, and I was just, you know, holding my son when Tate was first born, or firstborn son. I mean, I'm like, uh, what is it, Musaf, uh, Mufasa, who's holding up, ah, holding up my little red-haired boy. Yes! You know, and uh, he is going to be a warrior, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and of course, he is a warrior. And, uh, but I realized very quickly what Tate's skills were. I was looking at him going, you know what? He's not going to be a football player. And that would be ridiculous to push him in that, in, that, in that way. But what I saw was his hand-eye coordination as a boy. And I was like, I've never played a day, a a day of, in my life of baseball. But I knew that's what he was. And so I did my best to study up on it and to let him and encourage, and he became a very, very good baseball player. And then we were sitting on the dock, and we were talking about different things, and, and we were just talking about his dreams, and let Tate talk to me, and Meredith talk to me, and Liddy talk to me, because that's what we do, is we just say, okay, what, tell us what's going on inside you. What is God telling you? What are you feeling? What are you sensing? Being very careful to not direct that or push it, but help it along as it begins to develop. And so when Tate's heart was growing for business, then I just thought, okay, I know nothing about business, <laughs> but I can see that's what God has placed on your heart. So let's discover it together. Let's go, and, and as you've heard me say, he's, he's giving me uh, uh, advice on retirement and all that. So <laughs> that's kind of nice. And, and talking to other people in our lives that we knew were very gifted in business, and also he was looking at the medical field, and you know, he talked to several of you in the room about the medical field. I mean, that is, that's the richness of the body of Christ. We are so blessed that he, he has had a chance to speak to those of you in the congregation about this or that. I mean, that we see, talk about the wise become wiser. I mean, we get smarter because we go, go talk to app. <laughs> and, and we just love that about the body of Christ. I just want to encourage you with that. Um, okay. So you're going to talk about the biblical worldviews that staying ahead. Yeah. Of yeah. So what we want to do is try to stay ahead of the curve and we're going to, we need to wrap this up, but this is, this is huge because as our children begin to develop and, and maybe you're an aunt or an uncle or you're a cousin and we can all help in this process. But as parents, we really need to stay ahead of the curve on biblical worldviews because if only 17%, then clearly we need to do some things, change some things. So even, uh, so we need to examine when our if our children are going to public school or going to universities and things like that, and this may just seem like anathema to most of you, or like, well, I never even think about doing that. But I encourage you to do it. Examine their textbooks. Talk to them about what they're learning. And, and compare it to the biblical teachings on origins. What are they learning about that? Evolution. How about abortion? Drugs? Environmentalism? Social justice? What are they learning there? And are they learning revisionist history? In other words, they're pulling history completely out of context to force a particular worldview. Watch for that. I mean, history is all a matter of interpretation, okay? We observe things of the past, but there is not a single human be being on the planet that does not shape what happened in the past to fit their worldview. It's very easily done, very easily done. And, uh, and if God has nothing to do with it, then he'll have nothing to do with its future either. Don't teach them to be argumentative. And I really, you know, teach them to respectfully share what they believe. Many, many young people are swept away when only mildly challenged in their faith because they do not have any foundation. So here's some recommendations for you. Grandmas, grandpas, uncles, aunts, moms, and dads. I think every young person, instead of going out on a missionary journey, they should take a good systematic theology course. You do it online. 
very easily. They could even do it their senior year in high school. It's not hard. They don't have to take it for credit. They don't have any write any papers, but they should do it. And I really encourage that with all of our young people that they get it and, we, and you have, have access to it. So in other words, even some apologetics to learn why do you believe what you believe? Because when, they, when we send them off, they're going into the battle zone. They're coming up against atheists and agnostics who think they are the smartest people on the planet and they will attack every remnant, every thread of faith that exists in them. And if you can't stand up for your faith in something like that, then you'll never stand at all. Our, t our young people need to know. So let's finish this up, Andrea. We've got to pray, right? We've got to pray for our children daily. Be specific about the prayer. Pray over their future. Pray over their spouse-to-be. And that's, that's so important because it's like the, that seed that goes out and just praying in faith over who that, that person that God has created for them, praying over their career, over their health and decision-making, um, I even, you know, I'll share scriptures and, and words of, that God has given me over the kids. I'll wait for the right timing, but sometimes I'll text it for my older ones. I'll just text them a word that God has given me, and that is, that is just so powerful. And I just want to encourage you that if your kids are in school, just talk with them daily about what they've been learning and what's going on in the classroom because that way you have the last word, and that's important. You have the last word because you're the one that's that's you know, opening up the word of God to them and helping them wrestle with um, kind of what's, what's going on out there. The thing that occurs to me as we think about all of this is that, you know, especially for a great number of you that are sitting here, you're probably thinking, well, I never experienced any of this. I didn't grow up in this kind of family. I didn't grow up with these kind of parents. I get that. I understand. But can I challenge you to not harden your heart to what is right and true? Because if you are not a person who is helping to, to bring this forward, to encourage it, then you're actually one who's in the way. You're actually one who's not helping. Because a lot of time we show our reaction. We, we, we step away. We do the different kind of things. And I just want to thank you for those who have hung with Andrea and I through this series. Even if it didn't apply to you in any way, shape, or form, I want to thank you personally. Because I know this cuts across the grain. I know it does. I know it cuts across everything that we're learning out there. But as I said very early on, folks, it takes courage to believe what is right. And it takes courage to move forward. You can, you can step into the different isms that are out there, but they'll, they're going to leave you broken. They're going to leave you without a heritage. They're going to leave you without a legacy. What you will find is you're, in many ways, having to just dig through the remains. And so here's the word that we need to finish with, Andrea. It's called repentance. Repentance. Because I was talking with Andrea, and I, was, and I said, honey, you know, I'm questioning why we're talking about this to so many that it doesn't necessarily apply with where you are right now. But you know what truth does? Truth causes us to be retrospective, doesn't it? Didn't all of this make you go back in time and just say, yeah. I mean, I'll never forget my time when I first rose up against my dad and just, you know, got angry at him at 13, 14 years old I was and, bat, you know, back-talked him. I'll never forget it. It was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. But let me just tell you, I asked him to forgive me for that before he died. 
because truth makes you think about your past. And what we can do is we can untangle that mess by taking truth and just saying, Lord, even though I can't back and go back and relive my life there, I can grow in repentance. And I ask you, Lord, forgive me for disobeying my parents. Forgive me for walking in rebellion. Forgive me for being a part of the problem and not a part of the solution. That's a benefit to you in every way. In every way. Because in many ways, what that does and unlocks the blessing that has been held back for almost all of your life to come flooding forward. And that's cool stuff right there. I hope that's what you want because you can have it. Let's stand up this morning. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes as we finish this morning. Lord, I pray right now, God, as we think about parentage, Lord, when we think about our past and our future, Lord, for some of the young families, Lord, that we know that are going to be coming to the second and third service, Lord. Lord, we don't want to just sit by and, and just watch them suffer and struggle and battle. But Lord, many of us right now, we're loaded for bear with truth. We can help them. Young families need encouragement. They need prayer. They need help. They need reinforcement. Because in this world, even though your love is like a tidal wave, Lord, so also are the lives. So Lord, I pray right now, all across this room, Lord, as we have wrestled with these things, Holy Spirit, I know you've been stirring up things. I can see it in the faces of these dear ones. Lord, you cause us to go back and realize, wow, there's something there. So right where you are, if something has come to the surface, just let Jesus have it. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for our rebellion, Lord. God, forgive us for, Lord, the things that we allowed into our lives, God, that have wreaked havoc. But now we're in you. Now we're new creations in Christ. The Lord, as you always do with sanctification, it is both forward, but it's also retrospective. It's, Lord, you want to constantly teach us where, Lord, where we can fix that which was, Lord, broken in our past. So all across this room, Lord, I pray for your mighty healing through repentance. Lord, you tell us that the most valuable thing is a broken, contrite heart to you. Not proud, not hard, stiff-necked, but a malleable, broken, submitted, surrendered soul. And Lord, you will raise us up in that time. You will give us a testimony. You will give us a shout. Lord, you will give us a victory chant. Lord, you will provide open doors as a result because that's your heart. That's your way. And we embrace it today. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.